0: Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington.
1: And I'm Stefan Cohn in London.
0: Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. Today, we've got Stefan's take on Betty Crocker's make-ahead peach breakfast bake, and we'll introduce a homemade version of an English muffin from preheated fave Gemma over at Bigger Boulder Baking. Then we'll pull up a chair and see what's trending in breakfast food around the world. So grab yourself a cup of coffee and get ready for some sweet talk.
1: Andrea, I think as bakers, we are well aware of the warnings to not eat raw dough. But I recently came across an article from the Food and Drug Administration in the U.S. all about how you should also really avoid raw flour. Have you heard any of these warnings?
0: Yes, I saw this in our Facebook group. And it's because of E. coli showing up in the flour. And several of our listeners responded and said... This is why I freeze my flour for 24 hours after I bring it home.
1: Exactly. And it's not just flour in the bag, but it can also be in boxed cake mix or muffin mix, anything like that. So I guess you should really be avoiding anything with raw flour. And I have a little list of do's and don'ts for handling flour, just as a PSA guide. Whenever I've been tempted to eat raw batter, it's always the eggs that I'm stopping for. It was never the flour mm-hmm. until now. Mm-hmm. So um, so according yeah. to the FDA, just really quickly, do follow package directions on baking mixes and other flour-containing products for correct cooking temperature and how long you should cook something. Do keep all raw food like flour and eggs separate from ready-to-eat food. Do refrigerate cookie and pastry dough. Do clean up carefully. Wash hands thoroughly. Wash utensils thoroughly. Here's one that was surprising to me. Do not allow children to eat or play with raw dough products made with any brand of flour or baking mix. Andrea, I, of course, made homemade Play-Doh for both of my kids for years. And let's be honest, didn't everyone eat this at some point in their life?
0: (laughs) And I'm sure that's why they added that on there is you can't usually give kids this stuff without them putting it in their mouths. Even if they're not eating it, they're going to be
1: putting their fingers in their mouths. So I'm sure that's what that's about. Of course they are. Also, be on the alert for any recalls of products you may have purchased. Of course, never risk it. If you have purchased a bag of flour that's been recalled, just throw that away. Don't use products that contain raw flour like cake mix to make a milkshake. That could be a hybrid milkshake. You could probably imagine that appearing in a recipe. And then do not use raw cookie dough in ice cream. Uh, Obvious point here is that cookie dough that's in commercial ice cream has been treated or just not made with anything that might cause any harmful bacteria to grow. So anyway, I just wanted to give a quick rundown of that since I hadn't really considered the implications of eating raw flour.
0: Well, Steph, in hearing this, I am really glad that when I did my cake batter no-churn ice cream yes. back in August that I ended up using a recipe that had vanilla frosting yep. in the mix mm-hmm. but not cake batter. Several of the recipes that I saw used exactly what you were saying, a little bit of like a vanilla cake or a yellow cake Mm -hmm. cake batter Mm -hmm. in a smoothie or a protein ball or a dip. Right. And I just wasn't really interested in that because I didn't want leftover cake batter sitting around my house. Yeah. You know, just using like a half a cup from a whole box. A little bit, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's good to know. Thanks for bringing that to our attention.
1: And if you do visit the link, we'll put it in the show sheets for this episode. But you might want to just click around. There's lots of food safety and handling advice that I found really helpful. And somebody over at the FDA is having a good time coming up with headlines because here's my favorite one. Why raw doughs? A raw deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> it really tickled me. <laughs> hey, Andrea, I took my kids to the dentist last week and I got the best endorsement of my homemade ice creams ever.
0: From your dentist. Okay. (laughs) I'm on the edge of my seat.
1: From the kid's dentist, no less. So we're sitting there and she's talking to them and she's saying, okay, I know you probably like sweets. What kind of sweets do you like? And they were both very cagey at first and, you know, oh, I just like fruit. Yeah. Yeah, right. (laughs) She's like, it's okay. You can tell me. And then my son, he just came out and he said, my mom makes the best homemade ice cream. (laughs) Oh, my heart melted. And you know what? Our dentist is super fine with that. She was thrilled. She's like, it's calcium. It doesn't sit on your teeth. It goes right down. She's like, I heartily endorse ice cream. All the better if it is homemade. I thought that was so funny. I had to share that with you guys. I
0: love that. You know, you see those good housekeeping seals of approval or the mm. – Over here, you see the American Dental Association, the ADA crest on toothpaste and that
1: sort of thing. Maybe I'll soon see it on some ice cream containers as well. So that is good to know. (laughs) I think I'm just going to put a giant tooth on top of my ice cream containers. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) my dentist says yes. So I think my children were especially pleased that they were now given all the more reason to, you know, to go home and indulge. I thought that was hilarious. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I love that. Stefan, we have a couple of things coming up in
0: our upcoming episodes. So next week in episode 196 is our Preheated Book Club, and we are going to be discussing the book Home Cooking by Lori Colwin. That's right. If you Purchased the book and read the book, please do weigh in. We'll put a post in our Facebook listeners group where we ask you about your thoughts about the book, and we'd love to hear what you think about it. Mm -hmm. Stefan and I will be telling you what we thought about it uh, (laughs) next week on the show. Yep. And then just a few episodes after that, we are creeping up on our 200th episode. Oh,
1: my gosh, Andrea.
0: I know. It's so exciting. And there is already a post over in the Facebook listeners group where we're asking you to name your favorite episode or your favorite moment or your favorite recipe from any of the first 200 episodes. So you can go back as far as you want. It can be an entire episode or it can just be a moment. But we would love to hear what is sticking out for you as a memory during some point in our first four years.
1: And you know, Andrea, I was clicking around and doing some editing the other day, and we've actually done more than 200 already because of the way we numbered episodes for a while. So that's true. We are celebrating 200 as the actual number of the episode, but I think we probably passed 200, I don't know, sometime this summer maybe. That's a good point. We used Mm -hmm. to do the episode, you know, 126.5, we would do a half. Yeah, when there was a bonus right yeah but then we're like we're gonna give ourselves full credit for that (laughs) that's right (laughs) well andrea i am up this week with the bake-along review and if listeners remember For the time being, when we are not entertaining or baking for others in the same type of way, Andrea and I thought we would try something new and rotate doing the bake-alongs and the reviews. So last week, you probably caught Andrea talking about the caramelized onion and cheddar and bacon quiche. And now it's my turn to talk about my take on Betty Crocker's Make Ahead Peach Breakfast I can't wait to hear and I really can't wait to see some pictures
0: and see if it's as pretty as this photo on Betty's website. Well.
1: Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Andrea, last week when you were doing your solo review of the quiche and you said it was a lot of pressure mm-hmm. to not have me doing it as well, which was a very mm-hmm. nice compliment, but I felt exactly the same way about this one without you and Number one, right off the bat, which of course I could have just texted and asked you anyway, but I was like, this is my bake. I'm gonna like I'm gonna do it to the full. <laughs> All right, so the the first step is that you heat your 10 to 12 inch oven proof skillet. Now that's something that really appealed to me when I chose this recipe. This is a large quantity of pancake in a cast-iron skillet. But it's also a make ahead and I knew I would have to make it ahead, Andrea. So that was also really appealing. You can get everything ready and you can just stick it in the fridge, even overnight, and then bake it off when you're ready in the morning. Okay. Okay, so far so good, but then I thought I just was having these obsessive thoughts about putting the skillet in the fridge overnight. What would you have done? Would that have been all right? Why wouldn't you? Because, (laughs) see? Maybe I'm maybe I'm missing something here. <laughs> Do you ever see those warnings and they say, you know, don't put tomatoes in this skillet. It will make it turn acidic or yes. it will mm-hmm. this, that, or the other. It will discolor. Mm. I just couldn't get it out of my mind that this batter, which was very kind of well, it was a pancake batter, mm-hmm. was going to either be discolored in the fridge overnight by the skillet or take on an unpleasant taste just after sitting in the skillet overnight.
0: Oh, interesting. I do see where you're going now. I don't think that would have occurred to me. Okay. I make something every year in August. I make it at least once a week called cold sauce. And it's basically Mm. when the tomatoes come in from Yakima and I get Mm – I mean, I'm talking like 25 to 50 pounds of tomatoes. Yes. And I chop those up and I mix it with garlic and basil and olive oil and salt and pepper. And that's it. Yep. Yep. And I never, ever, ever do it in a metal pan because of that whole imparting the metal taste. But that's the only dish that I have that I ever think about or worry about imparting the metal. I think it's only with tomatoes because I've read that warning. I Mm -hmm. might have worried a little bit about the discoloration with the peaches, but I also feel like they're mixed in. So I'm not sure if it was an upside-down cake, but even then I think I would have thought, well, they're going to caramelize and look brown anyway, so who cares?
1: I know. I couldn't really reconcile putting it in the skillet overnight. So... I put it in the 13 by 9, which is the other option here because my 13 by 9 is glass. I just didn't have the same concern. Okay. So hence, my finished product just wasn't as kind of kitschy or pretty because it just, you know, it just was a 13 by 9. Okay, well, I'll do it again and I'll I'll do it in the skillet and maybe I'll report back on if I had any, any issues with that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that at the end of the day, the make-ahead is for your convenience. And, you know, that to me is more important. Sometimes you have to do that to be able to serve it in the morning. So I'd go more with the convenience factor and using the 13 by 9 if that made you more comfortable. There's no point in making it more convenient for yourself if you're going to wake up every hour overnight and (laughs) wonder, you know, if your peaches are browning and your cake is tasting metallic or your cake, your um, pancakes, so...
1: Yeah, I think that was a good call. Okay, all right. And you've raised a good point that maybe you do it in the glass dish if you're going to make it ahead and in the skillet if you're not. Sure. Because either way, this was so super easy. So let me run you through the pancake ingredients. It was two tablespoons of butter and two peaches, peeled and sliced, two tablespoons of packed brown sugar, and I always use dark brown sugar, two teaspoons of vanilla, one and a half cups of original Bisquick mix. I'll come back to that in a minute. Two thirds cup of heavy whipping cream and four eggs. So, the first thing you do is caramelize those peaches. And we were kind of laughing last week when we introd this that you were caramelizing onions in Olympia and I was caramelizing peaches this week <laughs> in London. <laughs> it was a theme. I love it. We love to caramelize. That's, of course, very, very easy. A quibble with this recipe is that two peaches, well, how big? How yeah. big? How big are your peaches? How big are mine? How I would have wished for a weight there. Yeah. At any rate, you caramelize that with your butter, add your vanilla, toss that, and set those aside. If you were then making the pancake in the skillet, you would go on from there. But then at this point, I switched to my 13 by 9 glass dish. Okay. This quick mix, as you guys heard last week, I knew I wouldn't have and I would try a copycat version. I found a great one. That I took as a starting point over on a website called the Gunny Sack. And that is Tonya Larson, Tonya or Tanya? Not sure. And she had a large quantity. I think when people make a copycat bisquick, they do it in a big quantity. So they they have like a box's worth in their fridge. That makes sense. But I didn't need that much. And I also wanted to use butter as opposed to shortening, which Tonya's recipe had asked for. Probably Andrea's shortening is more like the authentic Bisquick mix, but I just prefer butter in this application.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think that's a fine substitution.
1: So I whipped up a copycat Bisquick that was two cups of flour, a tablespoon of baking powder, half a teaspoon of salt, and three ounces or 85 grams of butter. And you just cut that together like you're making a biscuit or a pastry and store any leftovers in the fridge, obviously with that butter and for that matter, the raw flour. So then I went on from there. If you wanted to make this with the Bisquick mix, I mean, go for it. It's obviously making your life even that much easier. You combine your Bisquick mix, your whipping cream, eggs, and a teaspoon of vanilla and fold in those caramelized peaches. At this point, it goes back in your skillet or in your 13 by 9. And here's where you can just pop it in the fridge, which I happily did and came back to the next morning. Okay. So Andrea, at this point, I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be like a coffee cake. That's what I would think too. That's kind of what the batter reminded me of. Well, how surprised was I when I stuck it in the oven at 450 degrees, then for a little bit longer at 350 degrees for the last 10 to Mm -hmm. 15 minutes, and this was a giant pancake. It really was. Oh, okay. I was surprised and happy. It tasted exactly like a pancake. Here is where the peach quantity would have been more helpful. For all of its name and its star ingredient, I just don't think you could taste the peaches. So doing this again, I would really go up with the fruit. I see no reason not to. I thought the caramelization, when I had snuck a few of those before I mixed it with the batter, I thought that was just fine. So I would go with more peaches or I would just leave them out because essentially you just have made a big 13 by 9 inch pancake. And that's great too. I
0: noticed the two peaches and thought it was rather small, but I found that delightful Mm -hmm. because I saw that you had to peel them. And I thought, you know, if this said four peaches peeled, I would have probably just skipped it by because I don't feel like
1: peeling that many peaches. What was it? Was it that peach pie like two seasons ago where we, we had that hilarious conversation about blanching yes. the peaches? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I didn't do that. No. You're right. Two was really reasonable. But yeah, going forward, you would, you would have to think of something else. Yeah, you know, end of day, mine wasn't as pretty as it may have been in the skillet, but it sure is nice to come down in the morning and pop something in the oven that only takes, you know, the inside of 30 minutes. It feeds... Everyone in my family, and it does say it serves four, and you might think, oh, this is a 13 by 9 inch casserole, won't it serve more than that? But if each slice is roughly two to three pancakes, it worked out to about the same ratio as I would feed my family a stack of pancakes.
0: That's true, because it's rare for someone to have just one pancake.
1: I know. Yeah, you always have a stack. One pancake. How lonely. (laughs) Lonely little (laughs) pancake. So yeah, I thought it was a nice big batch. I thought it was a nice make-ahead. I would probably experiment with that fruit, leaving it in or out. But yeah, make-ahead peach breakfast bake with the copycat Bisquick. It worked for me.
0: Oh, I'm so glad that turned out for you. Thank you for sharing that one with us. I love having make-aheads. Maybe another idea would be to find or make some peach syrup to go along with it instead of some maple syrup. So I'll put this one on my list, and I can't mm-hmm. wait to try it. Sounds good. Let me know. Stefan, our next recipe is the homemade English muffins mm-hmm. from Gemma over at Bigger Boulder Baking. Mm-hmm. Listeners who have been following us know that we last used Gemma's recipe when we made the 10-minute tiramisu. (laughs) And it was a huge hit with both of our families and a lot of our listeners as well. So I feel really good about trying her recipe. English muffins have been on my radar for a while. It was back in 2018 when listener Crystal from Sweden had posted some pictures of her homemade English muffins. Yes. And Honestly, that's the first time that I thought to myself, oh, you can make these at home? Yeah, you know, of course right. you can. But it just hadn't really occurred to me. And then more recently, listener Lorraine had posted some of hers, and she had used the molds. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, oh, I don't think I want to, you know, go to the work to buy yes. English muffin molds that I'll probably never use again. So I had sort of put that on the back burner. But then I think you're the one who turned up this recipe. And we were both thrilled to see that it did not involve molds.
1: In fact, I think she says that right at the top. So that's a right. eye catching headline if I ever saw one. And, you know, we did, as you just mentioned, we did love that tiramisu. She's known for her really straightforward approach to to baking. She has a video with most of her recipes as well. And I thought that would be helpful for something like this that I haven't ever tackled before. And I was really intrigued, too. I love English muffins. Ironically, I don't eat them as much here in England as I (laughs) probably did in America. They're just called muffins. (laughs) Just called muffins over there?
0: (laughs) Stefan, the other reason this recipe appealed to me is that it had 611 votes and on a five-star scale was averaging 4.65. So it's worked well for a lot of people. Mm. And then she also had some variations or some notes, and there are some options The particular recipe that we're using, the base recipe, uses two and a half cups of all-purpose flour. Mm -hmm. But in her notes, she says if you want to make whole wheat English muffins, you can mix some whole wheat in. And, you know, there's some other options there. So I, I always like it when a recipe gives me some options because who knows what I might pull from my pantry that day.
1: You know, Andrea, another thing that we liked about choosing this recipe is that it makes eight. If this was gonna be a dud, I wasn't gonna be down too many ingredients. And right. I like that small size as I'm getting on with a, a new technique and and a new new to me bake. So let's run yes. through let's run through the recipe really quickly. It's It's interesting that it's almost a sourdough, but not quite. It's going to have a really long rise or ferment. And so that's maybe the most important thing to realize about these is that it rises for a minimum of 12 to 18 hours before you do a second shorter rise of about 45 minutes. So plan ahead on this one before you get started.
0: Yes, this is definitely something you want to think about doing the night before. Yeah, right. (laughs) Not
1: the day of, so... Yes, so you've got those two and a half cups of flour that Andrea just mentioned, quarter teaspoon instant yeast, quarter teaspoon salt, two-thirds cup of milk, half a cup of water, and a tablespoon of butter. On the yeast, that was
0: another one of their recipe notes. If you don't have the full 12 to 18 hours to wait for that fermenting, you could bump up the yeast a bit to half a teaspoon of yeast. And of course, then you're going to have a shorter rise time.
1: Yeah, it's really nice. She does all of these kind of very thoughtful tips and tricks that mm-hmm. make her recipes usually really successful. So yes, you've got your dry ingredients there. You're going to mix those together briefly. Likewise, with your wet ingredients, the milk, the water, and the butter. Now, these instructions are to pop it in the microwave until it's lukewarm and the butter has melted. But if you watch her accompanying video, she also says you could do a stovetop. So there you go, Andrea. Stefan, I also want to point out something in step two of these
0: instructions. Now, we're here on episode one ninety five and uh, for almost four years, I have made fun of the English recipes that talk about their jugs you know in a separ- <laughs> in a separate jug or pull out another jug and I always thought, who has all these jugs in their kitchen because when I hear jug. I think of like a beautiful stoneware pitcher Mm, with a nice pouring Mm -hmm. spout, more of an urn. A piece of pottery is what I think of when I hear jug. Yeah. It wasn't until I watched Gemma's video and she said the word jug as Mm -hmm. she picked up her Pyrex measuring cup. And I went,
1: oh, they're saying jug when they mean (laughs) measuring cup. It's just that British (laughs) gift for making everyday things just a little more fancy. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Ah. Well, I'm so glad I
0: figured this out after four years, and I will now stop judging recipe developers when I'm thinking, "What do they think I have a collection of earthenware, stoneware jugs in the dining room or something? So I feel much better about it now. Okay. okay. Yeah. Very good.
1: Well, once you have that warm mixture, warm, you're going to add you're going to add everything together, scraping down the sides of the bowl. And you know, she does say add it add that liquid a bit at a time. We want it to be sticky, but you may not have to use all of the liquid because hey, I don't know what the humidity in your kitchen is this day, and your flour might be different than my flour, and that's another really thoughtful thing to consider. So, as you're adding that liquid in, make sure you're doing it slowly for exactly that reason.
0: And this is a thoughtful tip for any bake that you're making that involves mixing wet ingredients into your dry ingredients because as she mentions different brands of flour different types of flour different weather everything can affect how much liquid your dough your flour is going to absorb and i did watch the video and she mentions going ahead and adding three quarters of your liquid content and that's when you stir and mix and see if it's the consistency that you want. Yep. And then you go ahead and add more until it is where you want it. And
1: I do plan on doing that. I think that's a really good tip. I do too. Now comes your really long ferment so you're looking at about 12 to 18 hours and you're looking for lots of bubbles when that comes back because this is fermented. It's kind of on its way to sourdough in a way <laughs> but not quite. And It will have doubled in size and grown. Then you're going to take that out onto a floured surface, let it rest a little bit. Then your gluten relaxes. Now you're going to roll it out, cut it out with a 3-inch cookie cutter, transfer those to some parchment-lined baking trays, and let a second rise happen. At this point, about 40 to 45 minutes. And then you're on to the cooking, which happens in a skillet. And this reminded me of
0: a callback to our Japanese souffle oh, yeah. pancakes <laughs> because you want this large nonstick frying pan and I'm thank goodness I continued to read because my first thought was oh well I'll just use my big pancake griddle yeah but just as with the Japanese souffle pancakes you need a lid so I won't be using my large nonstick griddle I
1: will be pulling out my cast iron pan where I can use a lid And I will be tenting with tinfoil again as my large skillet doesn't have a lid as I also discovered during the Japanese souffle pancakes. (laughs) And the video makes a good point of why you want that because it kind of traps in some moisture and kind of allows them to steam before they – so they steam and cook all the way through and then they're getting golden brown when you flip them on the second side and take the lid off. There's lots going on here to be excited about, Andrea. And I think the best part of this recipe
0: is the very final line, which is you can store these for four days at room
1: temperature or freeze for up to eight weeks. Yeah, right. So talk about a make-ahead. Absolutely. This is going to be great as we're doing back-to-school lunches again and getting up early and getting into the swing of things and just having something nice to pull from the kitchen is going to be very welcome. I think I'm going to learn a lot, and I hope we have some delicious homemade English muffins. So remember, we'll have a link to all the recipes we've talked about today. That was the Betty Crocker make Ahead Peach Breakfast Bake. And this week's Bake Along, which Andrea and I will both be tackling, are the homemade English muffins from Gemma at Bigger Boulder Baking. We'll put links in the show sheets for this episode, which is episode 195, over on our website preheatedpodcast.com as well as in our Facebook listeners
0: group. Stefan, we love doing food trend reports because they're such a fun and lighthearted way to take a look at familiar and often new-to-us foods. So we thought, let's put breakfast under the microscope and see what's new.
1: Breakfast is one of those meals that seems so classic, with foods like cereal, egg, yogurt, and muffins and pancakes making up the cast of Usual Suspects. But like many other meals and foods, you'll not be surprised to hear that trends in breakfast have changed the face of the most important meal of the day. What became readily
0: apparent and fascinating is that these days, there is no one-size-fits-all definition of what breakfast food is. That's really exciting because it opens up the door to a huge variety of flavors, spices, and ingredients that you might
1: not have associated with breakfast in the past. What's for breakfast these days? Really anything you want. The whole trend of hybrid has not passed breakfast by and proves this point beautifully. What's hot now? Breakfast nachos, breakfast burgers, breakfast pizza. This makes me chuckle because for years my daughter, who's never been a traditional breakfast person, has loved leftover pasta for breakfast, breakfast spaghetti, or my husband's favorite breakfast soup. (laughs)
0: Hot or cold, he loves to start
1: the day with a bowl of leftover soup and claims it always tastes better than the day before. Speaking of hybrids, I know a quarantine trend that seemed pretty popular was pancake cereal. Oh yes, I saw that one trending as well. I personally don't think I
0: have it in me to pour and cook teeny tiny portions of pancake (laughs) batter onto a hot
1: griddle, but I did enjoy the pictures. Another huge trend is when breakfast is served. The rise of the all-day breakfast may have started with the 24-hour diner, but it's everywhere now, with dishes like Eggs Benedict, omelets, or egg sandwiches regularly appearing on lunch and dinner menus. I love the industry term for this, deferred breakfast. In the US, breakfast offerings have corresponded with a rise in preference for international flavors at every meal. So you'll not only see more Asian and Latin American flavor profiles included in traditional breakfast options like omelets and egg dishes, you'll also see more international breakfast offerings in general like ramen, congee, and shashuka. Trends are often two sides of the same coin and breakfast is no exception.
0: The rise in comforting, indulgent foods like over-the-top French toast or gourmet pastries has been met with the trend for healthier, more functional foods like overnight oats, smoothies made to order, higher protein offerings, and keto and vegan
1: menu selections. And speaking of two sides of the same coin, another trend is the breakfast double dip. That is, someone may start their day with coffee and toast at home, then get a breakfast sandwich, parfait, or smoothie mid-morning. That follows an ongoing trend toward grazing or eating smaller meals more frequently. Stefan, wouldn't that be the same thing as elevenses, or as I call it, second breakfast? You're right! Elevenses is is a time-honored snack break taken around, you guessed it, 11 o'clock in the morning, all over the world. Here in Britain, it's typically a cup of tea and a biscuit, but many other countries also pause for a mid-morning snack. In Colombia, they break for hot chocolate. In Poland, they might enjoy a sweet pastry with their hot beverage. And in Spain, it really depends on how you spend your days. You might have a small snack of almonds, or if you work a physically demanding job, you might enjoy a fried egg, cheese, and ham sandwich. Mm, Yum. And many
0: popular fictional characters have enjoyed elevenses, from Paddington Bear to Winnie the Pooh to
1: The Hobbits. And Andrea, there's elevenses in the U.S. too. It's just called coffee break. And it used to be a much more exciting affair. In the first part of the 19th century, before coffee was the beverage of choice at break time... People had whiskey. Mmm, perhaps that's a trend best left in the past. (laughs) (laughs) Or revived.
0: (laughs) Despite its naysayers, brunch is still a big deal, and we are, as always, team brunch over here at Preheated. But what's on offer has changed a bit. At least when dining out, savory has overtaken sweet at brunch time, with a move towards savory ingredients in items like muffins, biscuits, or, as we discussed last week, pancakes. The jalapeno cheddar scones from way back in episode 24 are a
1: perfect example of this trend. What to drink at brunch is also changing. In addition to classic cocktails like Bloody Mary or Mimosa, coffee and tea-based cocktails are set to get even hotter. Or colder. Or shaken. Or stirred. Or whatever. You get the idea. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, this month, back to breakfast, we've had a lot
0: to say in terms of these types of foods. But I feel like we have a lot of brunch or breakfast offerings spread out over the seasons, from those scones I mentioned to
1: pecan rolls to monkey bread. I feel a PDF coming on. Brunch basics? The breakfast bunch? Break for brekkie?
0: (laughs) Alliteration queen. I'm sure whatever you call it, it will be full of deliciousness. Stay tuned, listeners. And in the meantime, let us know your favorite breakfast foods. Post a picture to Instagram tagging at preheatedpod or send an email to host at podcast.com.
1: Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new episodes every Monday morning. Next week, we'll see if homemade English muffins are worth it or if we'll continue to purchase them off the shelf. And we'll introduce a grab-and-go breakfast cookie that's perfect for harried mornings. Then the Preheated Book Club returns with home cooking by Lori Colwyn, It's not too late to grab a copy. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, PreheatedPodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, where we're at PreheatedPod. If you like our show, please rate, review, and recommend us on your favorite platforms. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening, be well, and sweet dreams. hosted and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.
0: Oh gosh, I forgot to hit stop.